You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens. Welcome to the show. I'm Andy Hagens. And today we're getting an update from Humphreys Capital. So to our listeners who have followed the show for a while, I've had Grant Humphreys on the show before. We talked about his firm's agile approach to commercial real estate. Fascinating episode with a lot of insights. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes. That being said, Grant, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Andy. Glad to be back with you. And, and you know, I want our listeners to go back and listen to episode 78. And, and again, I'll link to it in the show notes. But but in the meantime, how have things been over at Humphreys Capital? You know, it's been a it's been a challenging season in real estate um, across the economy and many, many industries. Um, so it's been a challenging time, but that's also been a really good time for us to see what we're doing right, see what we need to improve on, see ways the strategy works and um see ways that we need to adapt. So I, I think it's, you know, today we'll talk a lot about balance and perspective, uh, maintaining the long view uh, through challenging times. And um, anyone who's been in real estate long enough through enough of these cycles, um, I think has created, hopefully earned a bit of scar tissue, uh, some thick skin to get through these times. Yeah. Hopefully some wisdom and some prudence about, uh, you know, leverage and risk uh, really underwriting risk properly, but they've also um, begun to hopefully just understand some some resilience that uh, you you've been through this before. You know what it looks like. You've been you can do it again, and um, if you're well positioned, uh, you can ride it out. So we we're thankful for that and continuing to see opportunity amidst these times. Yeah, and you know we were talking before we clicked the record button. How do we even describe the current market? And you know, I said rocky, and then we we're like, well, that's not quite right. You know, maybe challenging is the right term. I might say frustrating is maybe the term I would. I think this is a frustrating market. It's a frustrating economy in a lot of ways. And I'm saying that as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a limited partner, as an HNWI, it's frustrating to, to give that context because. We've had a little bull market run, but like in commercial real estate, interest rates are higher. It's harder to get deals done. And in my personal opinion, prices have not corrected enough to compensate for the higher interest rates. And I'm not a patient person, Grant. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Do I just need to wait another 24 months? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> At least. No, I, I think frustrating is fine. I think, yeah, it is frustrating because things aren't easy. Um, yeah. You say a little bull market. We had the longest bull market in our country's history. And I think what it did is it, it spoiled a lot of us to, um, you know, a false reality. You know, the Fed used every trick that they could to continue to keep the music going. And, um, you know, as we saw, Everything that could help the economy continue to be juiced from, you know, consumer credit to cheap mortgage rates to, you know, free money. Everybody felt like they won the lottery and that these times are going to last forever. And the reality is when you're juicing the market with zero uh, rates from the Fed and you're dumping so much stimulus into the economy, that all comes due at some point. 
we might be able to kick the can for a number of years, but eventually you're, you're borrowing from the future and it comes due. And so when that starts to get paid back and so far I've been surprised by the, um, I'm not going to call it a soft landing yet, but I've been surprised by how smooth it's been over the last 12 months mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, what I thought uh, we would be going into. But so far, um, they've been able to prolong um, a, a pretty smooth environment in terms of a lot of economic indicators, but real estate's been left in the lurch. Uh, we don't have values figured out. There's not enough deal flow in the market for norms to be reestablished. Everyone's waiting for the Fed to get done with their action of resetting rates and getting inflation under control. And the longer that that lasts in this malaise, uh, the longer that people involved in real estate are going to be frustrated because, yeah, our interest costs are higher, our NOIs are less, we've seen cap rate expansion that's eating away value. And all of these things can be settled out if it happens quickly, but as long as it gets prolonged, uh, becomes more and more challenging, and that that weeds out the the weed from the shaft. Yeah, and that goes back to my frustration. I'm I'm not going to be that guy who wishes for a recession, right? I mean, talk about a, an unpopular guy at parties, right? Like I'm not I'm not wishing for a recession, but the fact of the matter, it it does sort of feel like to me like we still haven't really, you know, it's like that part of you that if if you thought that the Fed was goosing the economy for way too long with 0% interest rates, you almost kind of want a harder landing just so everybody learns their lesson, you know, like, like so the Fed won't do it again, you know, and, and, and do you think that they've learned the lesson? Do you think that, that, you know, we'll be in for another year of these higher interest rates and then it'll kind of be back to the same old, same old? So Andy, I, as you know, I'm from Oklahoma and in Oklahoma or Texas, uh, parts of the country that have been very, um, you know, can closely connected to the energy economy, energy industry. Um, we've gone through booms and busts in the oil pricing over the years. And these typically last just a couple of years, a few years, ups and downs, very volatile. And there was a bumper sticker one time that said, and this is after the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s oil boom days, where people are drinking champagne out of cowboy boots. <laughs> then it gets to the point where you have the oil bust and when it just wipes out the local economy. And there's a bumper sticker that floated around. It says, please, Lord, give us one more boom. I promise we won't screw it up, you know? <laughs> and so I don't now. And what happens? You get an oil boom. What happens? People screw it up, right? Yep. Human nature is that we don't learn our lesson. We continue to um, overreach. Uh, not necessarily. I'm, I'm not saying like all investors, all fund managers, all industries. But I'm saying that across the board, the American ideal is one that is pushing people to live beyond their means. We've seen saving go down. We've seen consumer debt go up. We've seen people become less disciplined financially. Um, So I don't have a lot of hope that we would learn our lesson. I wouldn't wish that on people. But I do think that when you talk about balance in the economy, at some point, there has to be a correction. Now, I'm not going to get into the long-term macro issues of the American dollar and national debt and things like that that are going to be general systemic changes that I still think theoretically uh, will have to come due at some point in time. Maybe not in my lifetime. Maybe Washington can continue to push that, kick that can down the road. But in terms of the economic reality that people see, where you do have 
uh, low interest rates for such a prolonged period of time. I, I thought that we would start to see uh, recessionary pressure start to kick in and back in 2017, 2018, and they kept the music going for another three years, COVID hits. You think that's going to be the trigger that sets us over the, the hump to allow the correction that needs to take place to finally take place. The Fed drives so much stimulus in, it buys another two years. We're still in a place that is surprisingly healthy economically, but it can't last forever. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of smart people that are working on it. And there's a lot of folks that are just repeating the headlines that they've seen. And I don't know that they really understand it. I don't claim to understand it all. So who knows what will happen? I don't make a whole lot of predictions about the future. So. Oh, well, that's too bad. That's always my last question, Grant, but we'll, we'll get to that later in the show. Well, in the previous episode that we recorded together, we talked a lot about your agile approach to real estate and your agile philosophy. Grant, that's one thing I really like about you. And I don't want to give the listeners the wrong impression, right? Like you're a commercial real estate guy. You're all about those technical details and underwriting and, and all that technical stuff. But you also have this deeper, in my view, I would describe it as almost a philosophy, a philosophical approach, a thoughtfulness to your strategy. And, you know, I have to say the last 12, 24, 36 months seems to have really vindicated that agile approach or or agile philosophy. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, no, I think we've... um... We've made uh, we've been on the right side of some decisions, um, some big decisions. You know, we got out of a large industrial portfolio in 2021. Uh, that was a good time. We could have stayed on and enjoyed uh, a little bit lower cap rates, but we really timed it quite right. With any time you sell, you've got to have an opportunity to reinvest in something that replaces that yield. And we saw self-storage as a place that we wanted to go into. Uh, we still like that uh, as a strategy. Uh, we're really today looking for uh, opportunities. There's in, in any market, the even in times of, of, of global recession or a national economic correction, the waters are going to recede, but they don't recede evenly across geographical market, across property sector, across strategy. And we saw that in COVID. When we saw the downward pressure in COVID at first, it hit restaurants, hospitality, office specifically. It did not touch industrial. It did not touch uh, multifamily. Those saw a great boom in that time. And then you start to see there wasn't as much blood in the water on the hospitality side and hotels actually performed quite well. And we've seen hotel growth and value over the last you know, 12, 15 months. Um, surpass all the other property sectors. And so different sectors and different geographies respond differently at different times. And just having the ability to collect the data, form some theses, test uh, your assumptions um, is a really important characteristic or, or ability to have if you want to be resilient in times like this. Yeah, totally. I, I, you know, as time goes on, and I, I speak with more and more asset managers, I really appreciate the ones who have that more, I would call it a macro driven approach, which is, you know, just a more flexibility of mind versus saying, you know, we do industrial real estate. It's what we do. It's who we are. It's all our marketing. And and maybe even it has this incredible run and like, that's great. But at some point, every asset class goes in and out of style or or really 
there's a ton of investments that I'd love to own, but only at the right price, right? At, at a certain price, then that investment that I loved is is no longer attractive. You know, if I can use a baseball analogy, it's like I'm a I'm a hitter who can can only smack a curveball, and as long as they're pitching me curveballs, I have smack everyone out of the park. But then here comes a sinker, here comes a cutter, or here comes another pitch, and all of a sudden I'm out of my element. So, do you think that that really is it just a bad approach for an asset manager to just hone in on one asset class and say, that's what we're going to do forever, period, the end, goodbye? Yeah, I mean, I think you limit your options if if you take that approach. Um, you know, today, what we spend a lot of time uh, helping our investors see and prospective investors, folks that we're talking to, is the importance of nuance. You know, a lot of headlines that you read today talk about real estate as if it's uh, cut from the same cloth. It's one product type. It's one asset class. And the reality is with any headline that we read about commercial real estate, we really need to identify what's the geography we're talking about? What's the sector? What's the timeline? As we're looking at a statistic that cites a, a, a percentage change up or down, what are the factors that drive into that and what's their data source? And so a lot of times, even with the most well-respected news sources, uh, we've seen uh, a hyperbolic approach to telling stories and really a failure to tell the story of stable assets that are continuing to perform well. And we've got, you know, over 65 different assets in our income fund and they have continued to perform well. We're seeing rent growths have stabilized or dropped a little bit in multifamily, but that's after the boom that they had during COVID, which greatly exceeded pro forma. So they're currently still ahead of pro forma. So they, um, they gained 30% of ground and gave up 2% of ground or, or whatever. You're yeah, still, you're, see, you're you know. seeing those, you're seeing those rents uh, in multifamily, which held their own for, you know, three to four quarters. Now yeah. they're tapering off and, uh, but they're not falling off and net operating income is up. Uh, we're still seeing good stability across you know, many assets across the portfolio. Um, I think what it comes down to is really what's what's the basis? When I'm talking to someone, what's the basis that you entered into the deal on? I ask the question, I say, you know, how much of your capital did you deploy in 2021 and early 2022? And that tells me a lot about if they are uh, being swept up with the tide um, and the the frenzy or the, the excitement, uh, you know, the that was in the market at that time, mm-hmm. or if they had the, the discipline to look at the interest rates and make a hard decision to hold on to cash when everybody else was choosing to buy. So. Yeah. Well, you know, Grant, something I appreciate about you is, is the balance. You know, you're not a doom and gloom guy, yeah. right? But you're not saying, you know, there's, there's opportunities everywhere. You have that long-term <laughs> perspective. So Let's say I do want to be an optimist, and I am an optimist, yeah. by the way. I, I and I I like to think that there's opportunity in any market, right? Bad, good, in between, frozen, whatever. So where's the opportunity in 2023, or where where do you see the opportunities? Well, I think you're right about the balance. We try to maintain a balanced perspective. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, you, you need to be intentional about the data inflow and the way that we're looking at information. What's our data sources? How are we forming our understanding of reality? Um, also having an appreciation for the intuitive sense 
there's no ability of a data source or a data subscription. Um, and, and I'll even say where AI is today, I haven't seen an AI uh, that can replace where it is today. I'm not saying this is going to last forever, but where it is today, where it can replace the intuitive sense of experience and wisdom and just a, a gut feel that you have when you're talking about something as complex as um, multiple real estate markets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I put that caveat there because I think there'll come a day where AI has that information and it's evolved and it probably won't take too long, but we try to maintain a balanced approach. You need to be able to look at what is it that allowed you to stay in the game until this point in time? We're about 15 months into this uh, really challenging time, 15 to 18 months. What is it that allows you to stay in the game? Do you have the ability to continue as you look forward to continue to stay in the game for another 24 to 36 months if nothing changes, if things get worse before they get better? And so do you have the staying power to you know, ride this out? I don't think that that kind of time frame is um, pessimistic. I think it's quite probable that we're going to be in this malaise for, for some time. I think the Fed's actions are going to continue maybe another um, step or two up before they pause and then they have to wait and see how long it takes for steps down. I don't think that's going to happen early in 20 uh, in 24. I think that we're going to be in this for a while and I'm I'm of the camp that we're going to have higher rates for longer and seriously doubt that we'll get to 2% inflation um, anytime soon if ever. I I'm, you could sell me on three and a half um, but 2%, I just don't see that coming anytime soon. Well, that, so, Grant, that is what I'll sell you on is three and a half. I think that, that, that sounds about right. I mean, to me, that's that balanced perspective again is where I'm, I'm kind of tuning out, you know, the people saying hyperinflation forever. I'm like, I, you know, no, I, I'm not seeing that, you know, uh, but it doesn't mean that we're going to ever really go back to just 2%. It felt like 2% inflation indefinitely. Like we, we may never touch that in our lifetimes or at least the next decade or two with some of the structural changes that we've seen. Well, you need, you need to have room for all parts of the investment spectrum to have a place. Um, I'm excited for my fixed income friends who finally have their day, day in the sun. You know, yeah. they've had a good time <laughs> and they're so excited because it's just been a, a long slog waiting for a moment yeah. for fixed income to come back. Um, real estate can function just fine in a higher interest rate environment. Um, if the normality can settle in. You know, if we, if we can get back to a place where the rate environment is stabilized, uh, we can function just fine at three and a half percent, five percent, at eight percent, you know. So it what what is the challenging part is these times of fluctuation. Mm. Andy, you, you mentioned opportunities in any market. And what I just say is I think there's opportunities out there you really do have to look carefully. It's hard to find value creation today. Um, It's hard to find an investment opportunity where you can get a real return, a real total return today. Um, You know, and I think that with the yield curve and the way it's looking, uh, if you play it out a little bit and you think we're going into, you know, it's been said we're going into an earnings recession, um, you know, for public equities. So, the public equities are going to have a really challenging time in the near term, next 12, 24 months to generate the kind of returns that people 
become accustomed to. And I think everyone's expectation is that the market's going to struggle. It's going to take some time to get back to a place. So what does that mean for real estate? What does that mean for other options within the portfolio allocation spectrum? I think that um, it could bode well. People might be drawn back to the stability of, of real assets. And that's, that's my hope is that people look away from the high flying returns um, and aren't drawn to things that are you know, posting a 20 or 25 or 30% IRR. And they're drawn back to the things that are posting a nice, strong, stable 9%, 10%, 12% um, return profile. Grant, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, the, the target returns of more stable returns, you know, IRRs and eight, nine, 10% range versus, you know, crazy high teens, 20s, 30s. And in my experience, that's really where the most sophisticated investors, you know, family offices, the ultra wealthy, they're often targeting returns for their total portfolio in the 8% range, right? They want it to be tax efficient. So that's very important. Uh, but they're not after the, you know, I, I hate to call it the get rich quick, uh, excuse me, get rich quick, yeah. you know, mindset that just doesn't really, you know, it might work for a couple of years, but if you want to be a long-term real estate investor, you, you kind of have to wrap your mind around what you're talking about, that long-term mindset, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think yes. And when families get to a point of capital preservation mm -hmm. and downside risk mitigation, and ease of transferability and you know just making sure that the diversification model that's in place allows them to um, look ahead with some confidence that they're going to realize the outcomes that are on paper uh, you can rule the world with 10 percent total return given long enough time and so uh, you know as, as we put it together our income fund what we focus on is a stable distribution you know, we've made the same monthly distribution every month going on 12 years now. And, uh, you know, we, we do that the first business day of each month. If you invest, you know, today being August 10th, you know, you get it uh, the first business day in September. And so we focus on that distribution. Um, we think income is really important to people. Um, and we also think that, you know, an aligned structure, three things that most important. Consistent income, stable, consistent cash flow, an aligned structure between the fund manager and the LPs. And then last would be, you know, the the tax efficiencies and, you know, the benefits that come from having um, not just real estate, but a, a type of real estate that allows you to stabilize some of those tax benefits uh, within a range, you know, so that you have some predictability in your after-tax reality. And so we look at all of those. I, I think I'd also, fourth item that I throw in is just the importance of a reliable valuation process. You know, as you're looking at real estate, how are people um, providing information about the value of the portfolio? How are they determining that? Uh, how objective is that process? And, and, you know, are they really taking their medicine or are they able to still have their hands on the control levers. And when I say taking the medicine, I mean, just being in a, in a, in a cap rate expansion environment, are they showing reality as it is today or are their hands on the control levers so that they can still show based on where cap rates might've been six, nine, 12 months ago. And so those are all important considerations that people need to look at 
as they're looking for uh, for a real estate investment. You know, it, Grant, I know we're almost out of time, but one more question I want to ask you about, you know, we've been talking about this challenging CRE market and, you know, how, how we need to be patient. And I've talked about my frustrations with price. Uh, I guess this is a two-part question. Do you think that cap rates generally need to expand? Do you think that cap rates will expand in the next, let's say, you know, 18, 24, 36 months? Do I think, I think they needed to expand from where they were before. I don't think it was sustainable, um, you know, over the long term to let cap rates be as low as they were for, uh, for the long term. So I think that there was, there was a correction that needed to happen um, that was going to drive cap rates up from where they are today. There's a few different scenarios and we've looked at, you know, I've said that they can expand up. Uh, there would be a lot of value destruction in real estate if that happens. And I don't think the Fed wants to see that. I don't think they want to see real estate go off a cliff. Um, and uh, I, not that the Fed necessarily controls it all uh, or has the ability to control it all. Um, I think we could function just fine where we are today. If, if I had a crystal ball, I'd say that we're probably going to see um, you know, a correction in cap rates that could come down just a bit from where we are today. But I've got another scenario that sees them going up 150 basis points more from where we are today. And, and it could be somewhere in between those. And so, you know, there's a lot of folks that can speak with confidence about the projections that they have. And uh, I don't have that confidence. I don't try to look ahead and say, hey, am I confident that this is going to be the outcome? What we have instead is we have characteristics great partners, resilient structures, aligned fee and aligned you know, partnership agreements, both from the investors to us as a fund manager and from us as an LP to our GP development partners, that structural alignment that removes the ability for people to, uh, to take advantage and cut an unfair slice of the pie in a hard situation. Um, we have those characteristics in place that give me confidence that we are going to continue to have the same kind of performance that we've had in the past. Um, that's not the, the highest total return, but it's also a very risk mitigated position that allows us to continue to generate stable distribution and um, very diversified um, portfolio of quality properties. So I feel confident in that and, um, and we'll be able to weather the storm. As we look ahead, we're, we're confident in the next 18 to 24 months uh, based on what we see in our current portfolio, both from a cash flow standpoint, from a value creation standpoint, um, feel confident in that. And so what I'm looking ahead is I'm, I'm looking at the next you know, two to four years and what's the next play. And there's some good opportunities out there. Absolutely. You know, I appreciate everything you said about that long-term perspective, not necessarily trying to achieve the very highest return, which is going to mean going out there on the risk return profile. But, but you know, you didn't necessarily use the phrase, but, you know, the, the idea of capital preservation and, and, and targeting more that stable return year after year. I know that's a philosophy that resonates with a tremendous number of family offices, as well as high net worth investors who want to grow generational wealth. And so they're looking for that stability. They're looking to alternatives to provide diversification. 
to their portfolio. That being said, Grant, where can our audience of high net worth investors and family offices go to learn more about Humphreys Capital? Well, thanks for the setup. I appreciate you being <laughs> that up. Uh, so you can go to HumphreysCapital.com and um, you can call us uh, in Oklahoma City. Our phone number is 405-228-1000. Our investor relations team would be happy to take care of you. We've got over 740 investors. Most are high net worth individuals that we have a direct relationship with. Um, about a fourth of them are, are high net worth individuals through a registered investment advisor. Uh, we've got a $500,000 minimum for a direct relationship and a $100,000 minimum through an RIA. And uh, our family, the Humphreys family collectively is still the largest investor in this fund. So we're eating our own cooking. We're aligned and seeing it as our money. And uh, uh, it started out as friends and family in a family office, and it's grown up to uh, an institutional vehicle that we think is unique and and uh, we like the uh, possibilities and the you know the potential for where it's going to continue to go so thank Eat, you for your own Andy. cooking grant I, I love the oklahoma uh <laughs> i'm gonna assume that's an oklahoma turn of phrase we'll be sure to link to the humphreys capital website in our show notes which are always available at wealthchannel.com grant Great. thanks again for joining the show today thank you andy i appreciate you That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.